Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about health issues and men's health. African-American men are disproportionately affected by preventable medical conditions, yet they do not go to their primary care health services like they should. Why is that so? Why are our black men so reluctant to go to the doctor? Joining us is Dr. Barry Pierre, a board-certified internist and founder of Pierre Medical Consulting and his podcast show, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. He will discuss important health issues that face our black men and how they can be proactive and have better health and well-being. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you, D? Hi, Vicki. I'm fine. How are you doing? I am awesome. I can't wait to Halloween. Uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> me either. Me either. Not. Me either. And people... Not. Look, people be dressed, and and it, and it is kind of it's kind of cute, but adults be dressing up and stuff like that. I'm like, uh, it's no, crazy. I mean, people <laughs> spend all kinds of money for costumes. Uh-huh. It's crazy. <laughs> but you know, yeah. I, I, that's one thing I never got into. Even even as a kid, I would like the candy and stuff, you know, but I didn't, you know, I could dress up or not dress up. I, that wasn't my holiday to get into. No, me either. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So people are crazy. Yes, they are. Yeah, because back then you couldn't even, even though you did your candy and stuff, probably even now, you just, you were just real eerie and leery about about going out the street that's it yeah so but yeah i just thought i'd throw that in that uh no uh uh-uh, me either not right and dr doe is so busy he doesn't have time to worry about our lawn decorations this year So we good. That's funny. I was going to say, isn't this the time of year that Dr. Joe puts up the ghosts and the goblins and the 
pumpkins and all that. Right, and then move on to the Thanksgiving and the and cherry. Then move on with for our lawn decoration if he's like me if he's like me he's too busy to do that right now he's too busy he he mm-hmm. doesn't do it he directs so he, he he's too busy <laughs> <laughs> he's even direct he's too busy to even direct and uh-huh. i'm not saying nothing you ain't heard it from me <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. Funny. That's it. Well, guess what, guys? This is our episode 217. And today we're going to talk about health issues and men's health. African American men are disproportionately affected by preventable medical conditions, yet they underutilize primary care health services because healthcare utilization is strongly dependent on health beliefs. We're going to talk about why black men are so reluctant to go to the doctor and what are some of the things that we can do to help them to make the choice of being proactive, getting the screenings, going to the doctor, and most of all, choosing to have life, choosing to live a life of health and wellness. And so joining us today is Dr. Barry Pierre. He's a certified, a board certified internist specializing in internal medicine. He also founded Pierre Medical Consulting in 2015 with the goal of health promotion through media, direct primary consultation and public speaking. Dr. Barry has a podcast show, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry through weekly episodes, Dr. Barry discusses medical issues, mental and physical health of black men and encourages his audience to be proactive about their health and well-being. And he will discuss on our show today some of the important health issues that face our black men and how and why we can better improve our health and wellness. And so we can't wait to hear from him. Right, D. Absolutely. Now, make sure, folks, make sure you go sign up for our new course on our Vicido Fitness Academy platform. It's called Emotional Intelligence, a comprehensive approach for maximizing performance and quality of life. This is this is an online course. It's 100 percent online for eight weeks. And it is facilitated by our certified emotional intelligence instructor, Kelly Ashby of Kelly Ashby Consultant. Our emotional health is important and it affects our health and well-being. And so in this course, you will be able to learn and apply the critical core competencies that are needed to relate and navigate in different and sometimes stressful environments. And you will also learn to understand your emotions and feelings so that you will be able to work with teams and colleagues at work. You'll be able to relate with your family and you will be more productive and effective in your everyday life. And for more information about this course, go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash emotional intelligence and sign up today. And guess what, folks? You will be so glad that you did. 
Also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. Because when you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. And so you'll be able to learn, listen, and experience our shows where we are bringing other guests and we talk about the things that are important for all of our health and our well-being and things that are important for our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about our physical health, but we talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. And so we believe here at Vicky Doe Fitness and we share it on our podcast. We believe in the philosophy of total well-being, having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts or where you rate, where you can rate and review this show because this is how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, my week was great. I'm super busy, but it's all good. Mm-hmm. It's all good. It is. So what did you do? It's all good. Well, I'm I'm doing a lot of dancing. You know, this is the first part of the semester. So the first okay. part of the semester, I come home from teaching dance. I'm about to die. I got to pull out my Epsom <laughs> salt. <laughs> Then your rub on goose grease, as my father used to say. <laughs> my rub on goose grease. Oh, all of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Lord. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Because, you know, the yeah. first the first part of the semester, we're, you know, we're trying to teach and, you know, I'm showing the dances and all that. So I have to really, really dance. So. I come home, I'm about to pass out, and I'm sore as I'll get out. I'm not jealous. I am jealous not. (laughs) (laughs) No, ma'am. I'm happy for you, but no, ma'am. That's it. That's it. I keep saying, man, I'm getting too old for this, I think. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Yeah, I've been yeah. cooking too. I still do the. Remember, I used to talk about the sun basket meals. I still, I still uh-huh. get those. You know, I don't get them as much, but I try to get them at least monthly. You know, because they do uh-huh. have unique, you know, ways to cook food. And you got this time, I got my box. We got sweet potato spaghetti, and I didn't even think about that having sweet potato spaghetti. That's what no, I said. When uh-huh. I looked in it, I tried it with, you know, the meal and stuff, and it's, it was delicious. And then they had this other dish. It was farro. Now, farro. It, I like farro. I it, was introduced. One of my girlfriend makes farro salad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And yes, so it's, it's not gluten-free, but it's delicious. And when uh-uh. I tried it, I didn't have any um, side effects. So that's it. Man, I oh, might okay. have to, you know, do that more. Yeah. Yeah, farro is really good. Yeah, she always makes a really good farro salad, rather. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all I've been doing, but I've been trying. I'm trying to, you know, uh, jumpstart. I think I'm going to write a article on that. 
and and put it out uh-huh. there on our platform. But I'm I'm trying to get back to some ways where I can jumpstart and get back focusing on my healthy living because see the holidays are coming up and I want to already yes, be I want to already be in gear. So if I cheat, I could just cheat a little bit. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they will be, it's going to creep up here quick, fast, and in a hurry. I mean, and then we'll be back. Remember those days we were talking about dividing your plate in and not doing high? <laughs> we got to start thinking about that again. That's it. We got to be thinking, thinking about, about that. It again. Absolutely. <laughs> Think about it again. Yes, ma'am. We call them holiday hacks, how to divide your food (laughs) and your plate. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So how 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 was your week, D? What, what, I, well, congratulations. You know, uh, Hold on, congratulations uh, for your light. What was it? Uh, it was Live Fierce Award from the American Heart Association. Congratulations, kudos! Thank yes, thank you, thank you. It was it was very much a surprise. Um, one of my link sisters, Monica Hoskins Van, who you know. Uh, uh-huh. nominated me, and she told me a few weeks ago, she goes, I'm going to nominate you for this, and I don't even know what it was. You know, I was so busy. I just didn't have any time. She goes, well, send me your bio and stuff. And, you know, uh-huh. when somebody says that, you're like, okay, yes, you're right. Right. And so uh-huh. then, sure enough, I was called last week. Okay. That I was a finalist, and still you don't think that you're going to win. I mean, there you know, a lot of people doing a lot of great things in the city, and then all of a sudden my name was called, and it was good. So That's I'm awesome. So I'm happy to have it. I, I shared it with all my other colleagues that are out there in the trenches, you know, not just me, but everybody else that's out there in the trenches. So mm-hmm. it went well. It was very, like I said, you know, it was only about 200 people, but that was good because a lot of people are not coming out, Vicki. We've had this conversation. A lot of people right. are not coming out. Right. It was mass, it was mass mandated. Okay. And then you had to have a, uh, you had to have a code on your phone that they scan in order for you to get in, which is ah, another really good thing. That is you had good. A UR code, so you had to have a UR code scanned, and you had to have masks. So, yeah, they had it very efficient, as safe as they could possibly make it, and they, you know, had the table socially distanced and so forth and so on, but it was well done. Good. That's awesome. That is mm-hmm. awesome. Well done, yep. And yep. then what yep. else then? What else? I know you're doing That's other really stuff. Oh, okay. working. No, you know, the last weekend I was on call. Uh-huh. And so we were, your, your honey sweet Dr. Doe and I were just following each other from patient <laughs> to patient. I'd be in the room and then he'd come in. Then he'd come in and I'd be in. I mean, we were like a shadow all weekend seeing patients. And then we would go into the room where we have to do our charting and we just sit there and shake our heads. Like, can you believe how bad this is? I know. So again, we had a lot of war stories to share this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. unfortunate, yeah. but but we're glad yeah. that you guys are out there, you know, doing what you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah, that's all we can do. Right, exactly. Exactly. What is going on this week? Everything, Vicky and Sad. It is sad. Everything and sad. Yes. Yes, yes. Colin Powell mm-hmm. transitioned complications of COVID. I heard it on CNN when it broke. Mm-hmm. He was the first black U.S. Secretary of State whose leadership in several Republican administrations, I think all the way going back to Reagan, mm-hmm. helped shape American foreign policy. In the last years of the 20th century, in the early years of the 21st century, he died of complications of COVID. 
said his family. He was 84. Mm. He was the former U.S. Secretary of State and the youngest chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mm -hmm. He passed away, I think it was two days ago, October the 18th mm -hmm. or 19th. Mm -hmm. The 18th. The 18th. And uh -huh. um, he had multiple myeloma, multiple myeloma, which many of us did not know. It's a cancer cell that suppresses the body's immune system response just in and of itself without even taking chemotherapy. It affects your plasma cells, so your, your immune system is already shot. I know when people have multiple myeloma, they have to take certain shots to prevent them, certain vaccines to prevent them from getting certain infections. Mm. He also had Parkinson, said Peggy Safrino, Powell's longtime chief of staff, and she confirmed it to the CNN. And even if fully vaccinated, those who are immunocompromised are at greater risk from the virus. We have lost a remarkable and loving husband, father, grandfather, and a great American. That his family, who was very, very nice to share that information. I know. Now, I know. I did hear his last interview with Bob Woodward. It was maybe Monday night. Bob Woodward apparently had the last interview with him. It was in July, and it was very spirited. You know, he was talking to Colin Powell, and Colin Powell said, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, I've got multiple myeloma and Parkinson's, and Bob Woodward says, oh, no, oh, that's terrible. And Colin Powell said, don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life. You know, he says, I've had a great life. I have a great family. I'm on medication now. Mm -hmm. And he told about how he drove up to, how he was getting, he died at Walter Reed. So I'm assuming that he was getting all his care at Walter Reed. But he said, you know, I drive up in my Corvette and I park it and I get out <laughs> and I go in and get my medication and stuff and I come back in. So he goes, don't feel sorry for me. So it was very upbeat. So that was in July, August, September, three months before he passed. You know, it just points out this doggone COVID. I know. Uh, I know. You know, and what happened was he got it from somebody. Oh. He had to have gotten it from somebody. Yeah. It just didn't jiffy pop up in his. He was fully vaccinated. So yes. I, my thing was when he was saying that he was driving his little Corvette over to the Walter Reed, he probably ran into somebody who wasn't vaccinated or who was colonizing and bam. There it you is. Know, that's why you might want to consider no no disrespect to, to General Powell, but it speaks more for you probably need to stay in a bubble. You need to stay in a bubble. Yeah. You need to stay in a bubble. Like we have kept my mother in a bubble. And you don't, you let very few people in around her. You don't let her go anyplace unless she's absolutely in 95 masked up. And you just can't, it's just kind of like, you can't slip up. You can't slip because up. Because this virus is still out there. You can't slip up. And especially, you know, I know the medications for multiple myeloma that he's on. Tom Brokaw has multiple myeloma. And I read uh, Tom Brokaw's book about having multiple myeloma. So when you have these diseases that already lend themselves to you being immunocompromised, you probably should stay in a bubble. Yeah. And he was, yeah. what, 84? 84. And that's relatively young. I mean, that's not that old. I know. You know, when you're talking about people like my mother living to 104, and I think there are like 10 people in the United States that are 110. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, life expectancy has increased, but certainly COVID can take it down. Yeah, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. It is. He had to have gotten it from somebody. <laughs> yes, I know. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. And may his, as the Jewish faith says, may his living be a blessing.
May his living be a blessing. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we always have a health tip and try to get it out there today. We're going to dive into a little bit about salt. And it's from an article that was written on the New York Times or in the New York Times, how cutting out even a little salt can have big health benefits. For many, reducing sodium in the diet, even modestly, can have an outsized impact on lowering blood pressure. Okay, and so this article starts out and it says, sometimes seemingly small changes in a health measurement can make a very large difference to people's well-being, such as the case with the effect of blood pressure, of the essential nutrient sodium, the problematic half of the popular flavoring agent sodium chloride commonly known as salt. The amount of salt that is safe for people to consume has been embroiled in controversy for a century, and the debate is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. Scores of studies of varying quality linking sodium intake and health have swung the pendulum back and forth, stymieing regulations to limit sodium in most commercially prepared foods. Some people are especially sensitive to sodium's ability to raise blood pressure, but given how common high blood pressure already is and how difficult it is to avoid consuming too much salt, many experts maintain that the safest approach is an overall reduction in sodium levels in prepared and processed foods. More than 100 million Americans have high blood pressure, a disorder that increases their risk for heart attacks and strokes, and which for many people is made worse by consuming too much sodium. Just a four millimeter raise in blood pressure, say from 130 to 134 millimeters of mercury, can jeopardize the health of some people and the blood pressure of those who are especially salt sensitive can raise by 10 or more millimeters of mercury on a typical high salt diet. In 2010, a Stanford University team estimated that cutting about 350 milligrams of sodium a day, that's less than a sixth of a teaspoon, would lower systolic blood pressure by only 1.25 millimeters of mercury, yet avert about a million strokes and heart attacks. A new study conducted in 600 villages in rural China of 20,905 people known to face a high risk of stroke demonstrated that substituting reduced sodium salt for regular table salt significantly decreased the the rate of cardiovascular events and associated deaths during an average follow-up of less than five years. The protection occurred in households that use modified table salt in which potassium chloride replaced 30% of sodium chloride, even though there was no change in their use of other rich sources of sodium, like soy sauce and MSG. 15 years earlier, a similar study among elderly veterans in Taiwan 
who use a potassium-enriched salt reduce cardiovascular mortality by 41% in less than three years. Currently, the amount of sodium in the typical American diet is more than one-third higher than the daily limit of 2,300 milligrams recommended by the American Heart Association for otherwise healthy people. And it is more than double the amount, 1,500 milligrams, the association considers ideal for people with elevated blood pressure. The actual physiological requirement for sodium is a mere 220 milligrams a day. So those recommended amounts provide a huge safety margin. The human species evolved on a very low sodium diet of 200 to 600 milligrams a day. In fact, our bodies are designed to conserve sodium and get rid of potassium, which explains why a high sodium diet can be a problem. The body holds on to excess sodium, increasing the chances of ill effects. Before refrigeration, salt was prized for its ability to preserve foods and was so highly valued, it was used for currency. Now, however, salt has become the betenora of <laughs> physicians who treat heart disease, hypertension, and kidney disease, among other deadly disorders. Though doctors have long argued that Americans should consume less salt, the wheels of regularity action turn at a glacial pace and modifying people's taste buds is equally challenged. So how the food industry is tackling salt, which I thought was very interesting. You go on and it talks about how they're trying to do, I guess they're trying to have some type of regulatory process by the Food and, Amin food and Drug Administration. We can say that if you look at a typical canned tomato soup, the article talks about Campbell's replaced, they have replaced a quarter of regular salt with potassium chloride. And that lowers sodium from 760 in your can of soup to 480 milligrams per cup with no adverse effect on consumer acceptance and that's important huh isn't that good isn't that interesting so that means it doesn't it doesn't taste any different no isn't that great huh. yeah wow. yeah so the industries are trying to do that but you know how long it takes for for that to happen but that's an example they got quite a few nabisco cut the uh, sodium in wheat thins to 370 from from 370 to 180 milligrams an ounce okay so hey they are trying to do that the article leaves us with a few tips it says tips for cutting down on sodium companies have found that gradually lowering the sodium content of their products and making no fanfare about it like not claiming their low sodium actually fosters consumer acceptance most people don't even notice the change. You may not have to wait for companies to do the work. For example, you can reduce the salt in many canned foods like beans by rinsing them in a colander. Or try my trick of 
diluting, that's what the author said, the salt and canned foods by first filling the bowl or pot with fresh spinach. That's what I thought was interesting. And other quick cooking or pre-cooked veggies before adding the soup and heating it in the microwave or the saucepan. If you hope to enhance your health by cutting down on sodium, one trick is to avoid going cold turkey. The author recommends, and many others have found that it's relatively easy to reduce one's preference for high salt by gradually using and consuming less of it. And so in cooking, rather than adding salt when preparing a recipe, try salting the finished product, which is likely to please your palate with considerably less salt. Seasoning foods with citrus juices, hot pepper flakes, or other pungent herbs and spices can go a long way to make make up for reduced salt. And we talk about spices and all of that and herbs for, you know, salting or seasoning your food. And you also might try eating less bread as a category, bread and other bakery products contribute more to American sodium intake than any other food. I'm going to close this article, but it's saying, look, you know, in lieu of government regulations to limit salt, consumers may consider writing to the producers their favorite commercial products and asking that they consider lowering the amount of salt use. So what do you say to that, D? We just got to lower our salt, right? Yeah, just lower, lower your salt. We eat too much salt in the first place. So that's good that they're, they're trying to address the issue. Kudos to them. Yes, and they're trying to, you know, do it in a way where they get the consumers, I mean, the um, consumers involved with contacting the industry right. with their favorite foods because I guess research shows that they can do that and we still will not think that their product doesn't taste no, the same. Know. We, don't we know wouldn't any, know. We don't know any difference, right? Mm-mm. We wouldn't know. Okay, so D, what's the latest then? You were talking about well, that. Well, the latest, yeah, the latest just came across hot off the press. I was just looking. The FDA did approve the Moderna and J and J booster. Um, we can talk about it more next week, but uh, looks like the Moderna will be offered at half the dose, and J and J will be given two months after your last vaccine as opposed to six months like the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. So that's what we have today. Okay. Can, can we mix it, though? Because remember they were... Yeah, you can. If you had Pfizer, you can have Moderna. If you had Moderna, you can have Pfizer. But if you have J&J, you can have Moderna, but it has to be two months after instead of six months after. Okay. Yeah. That's All right. Difference. All that to say is what? Get vaccinated. Everybody go out and get, yeah, it's going to be first rolled out to people over the age of 65. And those people who have underlying illnesses that might make them immunocompromised or cancer, chemotherapy, transplant patient, or anybody who feels that they're immunocompromised for whatever reason under the age of 65. Okay. Well, thank you, Dee. You're welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company 
that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about health issues and men's health. As we know, African-American uh, men are disproportionately affected by a lot of times preventable medical conditions. However, research has shown that they do not go to the primary care health care providers or do preventative screenings because of beliefs and oftentimes misinformation. Dr. Barry Pierre, a board-certified internist and primary care health care provider, is joining us to discuss the important health issues that face our black men, and he will share with us tips on how we can encourage our black men to be proactive and make the positive choice of living a life of health and wellness. And so let's listen to our interview with Dr. Barry Pierre. We'd like to apologize also for some of the background noise because we were not recording. Some of us were not recording in the studio setting. Here with us today is Dr. Barry Pierre, who is doing amazing things as an established medical doctor, medical consultant. He's a best-selling author, speaker, blogger, and what I like the most, he's a podcaster. Okay. Dr. Pierre is a board-certified internist specializing in internal medicine. He's a program director for an internal medicine um, residency program, a fellow of the American College of Osteopathic Internists and Clinical Associate Professor for Nova Southeastern University College of Osteopathic Medicine and Florida State University College of Medicine. Dr. Pierre, he spends time listening to patients, their concerns on a personal level face-to-face and across the country by using his unique skills of teaching and social media engagement, allowing him to educate the community worldwide through his personal blog, drpierreblog.com, and his podcast show, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Through weekly podcast episodes, Dr. Barry, he discusses some of the toughest medical issues with special emphasis given to the mental and physical health of black men and teaches it in a way that empowers his audience. And so today, Dr. Pierre will talk 
about some of the important health issues facing black men today. And he will give us tips on how we can better improve our health and well-being so that we can have quality of life. So how are you, Dr. Barry? How are you today? <laughs> I am well. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm, especially when we're, reading, when we're reading the bio, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I I, I do all that. Like it's some, sometimes it's shocking. When, but when you're in the middle of doing the work, you don't even uh, keep track of it. That's it. Because you are in the, what you say, in the trenches. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so, you know, we in, in, in a medical field, especially you, D, all of you guys, you know, my husband is a kidney specialist as well. You know, there's a difference between the primary care versus the internist versus this and that. So could you explain to our audience, you know, you are an internist and what does that really mean? And you are a primary, you know, healthcare provider. Explain how that benefits our audience as well. As an internist, I remember kind of going up through school and trying to figure out what specialty I wanted to get into. I knew I always wanted to work in the field of primary care, which is essentially the front lines of health care. Those are the ones where you're getting your uh, annual checkup. Those are the ones who are like usually the first to know when something is going wrong with you. And there's typical paths that you can go. You can either be a pediatrician, you can either be an OB guide, you can either be a family medicine physician, or you can be an internal medicine physician. And the reason why I went into internal medicine, one, is because I didn't really want to have to deal with kids, to be honest. Like, I, I tried to figure out, like, you know what, like, how can I, how can I you know, reduce um, my, my audience as far as kids are concerned? And then when it got to the point where I was thinking, you know, do I like women's health? Do I not like women's health? And then, uh, like, at least my, my patients at that time kind of answered it for me because they was always kicking me out of the room. They are like, well, is it okay if he doesn't stay in the room? So, like, and so every time, like, there was a women's health thing, they kind of kicked me out. So I said, like, all right, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just go in this route. And the way I always try to explain to my patients what an internist is, is we kind of specialize on all the internal organs in the body. Okay. Whether it be the thyroid, whether it be the heart, whether it be the GI system, every internal organ that you have, even the skin, like we kind of specialize it. But we don't specialize it to the point where we get really nitty gritty. We uh-huh. just have a great overall feel of all of the parts, which is why we, we, we're almost like a jack of all trades. Because we can kind of figure out, like, all right, you got this problem, you got this problem, and this problem. And then we can kind of go from patient to patient just dealing with problems on top of problems. That's a good explanation. Yeah. <laughs> And then you are able, because you know all that, then you are able to refer your patients, you know, to a specialist. But, you you know, you will be all the way down to the exact problem, pretty much, huh? Exactly. So we, we typically will know, and my, my family said it's supposed to do it too as well, but we'll typically know, like, okay, I know you have an issue, let's say, with the heart-related issues or even the kidney-related issues. And I know I have a ballpark idea of what may be going on, but I need to tag in get the help I need on, on our team, especially for my patients, for your team, to make sure everyone's on board. So then I can kind of facilitate, say, let, let me tag in, let me get the nephrologist on board, let me get the cardiologist on board to kind of put it over the top. What prompts you to use social media platforms, you know, to educate your patients and others worldwide about their medical care? I love that you're doing that because I sort of do that with my platform as well. So what made you want to do that? Honestly, I always say when I was when I was a medical student, my father passed away from heart disease. 
uh, uncontrolled blood pressure. And here he had a son who was in medical school, but he didn't realize that, you know, he could talk to his son, his son could kind of educate him. So he kind of kept to his own. So when he passed away, I told myself, you know what? Like, I'm not going to allow someone else's father, someone else's mother, someone else's grandma, or someone else to just kind of pass away because they don't know the knowledge. Okay. And I realized that, like, I could talk to a patient one-on-one in my office, but if I want to have the greatest impact to my community, like, I needed to get out and, you know, break. I, I tell people it's, it's weird because people see me everywhere, but, like, I'm, like, more introverted than anything. But, like, I understand that my purpose makes it so that I have to be extroverted when it comes to educating our community on our health-related needs. Dr. Pierre, I did want to ask you a question about that because when I was looking um, at one of your podcasts this morning, one of the things, I think it was the Dr. Margolis show or Dr. Margolin, he was asking you about what you thought was some of the top issues today. And one of the things that struck me was that how you talked about, you know, just what you just said, of talking to patients, getting out there, and how medicine has changed so much so that, you know, doing just what you said is kind of like, non-existent anymore. Most, oh, most definitely. I think what, what's happening now, and it, it's good and bad. The, I always say, especially when, we, when I was younger, right, the information of healthcare and medicine was kind of hidden from the patient. So they didn't have an opportunity to learn about their blood pressure or learn about what diabetes is or what cholesterol is or what good foods are not. And so the only person you could go to to get that information was your healthcare provider. As the internet and as social media and things have kind of opened up, it's allowed people to get that information and be able to kind of delve upon themselves what they want to do with it. But unfortunately, now it's kind of taken away that expertise that was typically there. So now they may go to read something, but what they're reading is incorrect. And they don't have a they don't have a backbone or a foundation to say like oh you know what let me talk to my regular doctor and see what my regular doctor thinks in comparison to what I just read or what I just watched on TV and I, I think that's been the biggest divide on top of the fact that a lot of people don't have a regular doctor you know if depending on the location that you're at um, depending on the kind of social status that you're in you may not have a regular doctor you may not see a regular doctor for years so now there's an access issue on top of the fact that. All of this information, which may be good, but also may be bad, is out there. So you have no one to kind of bounce that off of. I think so. And and I know because, D, you always say that sometime, too. And then Nate says that, too. You know, you can't just go by, especially when it comes to medical issues and all of that. You can't just go by what you read on the Internet or what Pookie and them said, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this is, that's been a whole big thing with this COVID thing, with everybody coming with all these social media suggestions about how you should be treated and so forth. It's just created mass confusion. I mean, this has been a perfect example of how social media might not have been so good with all of this. Yes, and what I always say, especially, especially those in the healthcare field, what happened with us is that our, our field told us to stay away from social media. They told us to, to not go online, not to be public for fear of being sued or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And what happened is, is because we stayed away, the experts stayed away, now you had non, I, I call them non-experts, mm-hmm. now you had non-experts mm-hmm. go on social media and they'd be, they're just loud and wrong. Unfortunately, <laughs> and because because they're allowed, because they're wrong, and we're not there to like try to combat that information yes. that's false out there. 
now a person who's on, you know, Facebook, who's on Twitter, who's on, like, YouTube, they have no one else to even, like, bounce this idea off of. So you have the loudest and the wrongest people who, who are front and center, who can't wait to post on social media, and you have the healthcare workers who are the experts in their field, and, but they're not out there to combat it. I know. And so I agree with you totally. And so that's why many years ago, just in our community, that was my goal to to get out there even before the whole social media to get out there in the community with with my my honey sweet Nate and then Dr. D, you know, she was out there to to actually talk to folks in the churches and stuff, because I remember years ago, People were amazed that they even had as many when it comes to African-American and people of color physicians, even in our area. And they were just so excited to to know that we were here and to know that they can really come and be able to find out what they need to find out. But then came social media. So, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's a little bit tough these days, but I'm glad a lot of us are deciding to use the media as our platform now to try to get the correct evidence-based stuff out there, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, that's so true. It's so funny. I remember, because, again, with social media comes the good and the bad, and I had someone post on my social No, they emailed me. They said, oh, I'm not listening uh, to your podcast because you only feature black doctors. And it, it <laughs> took me back because I was like, no, that's not true. But then I looked. Oh, wow. And most of my guests, have, and I, I, can't, I can't be faulted that most of the community wow. in the healthcare field I know happens to also be black. But, like, I think they were also taken aback by we had the fact that we have so many black healthcare workers and uh, therapists and counselors. I think that they also were shocked, too, so they said that I must be racist because I'm not interviewing uh, other people. But on the other hand, it's important for those in our black and brown community to see people that look like us. Yes. Because we do come across as the trusted messengers. That's exactly it. 100%. And then I think, oh, maybe subconsciously I did it on purpose. I didn't know. <laughs> but but he, that, that person definitely had to remind me. He said, hey, you want these pictures? Like, okay. And, and that's what you said. You just said, okay, and kept it moving, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, then that's our leadway, your show. I met, I want to tell people I met you at the podcast movement and we were just talking before um, we started the show how we haven't really been out to the conferences and all that because of COVID and you know we kind of miss it but I want to tell everybody yes I met Dr. Barry at podcast movement and and that was my first time coming because I said look if because I've always years before since what about 2002 I had this show on the radio Okay, and so I um, decided, you know, over time, I kind of cut out doing that and just doing healthy minutes. I think that was like 2006, seven. And then over time, I say, you know what, we got to get in the know. We got to be on the the website. We got to be, you know, podcasting. And so I started that. And that's when Dr. D joined us and we just started taping and we launched all of our podcasts and that whole thing 
on my website 2014. But I was like, you know, in order for me to to be in the know, let me go to the podcast movement conference and meet other podcasters, see what's going on. It was interesting how it was a lot of um, broadcaster folks up there, too. That's how, yeah, I, I met a, quite a few people and we connected because of that. But yeah, what was very interesting and what I just really love was to meet the actual black podcasters. And that's how I met you. That's been a minute and you've been You've been still doing your show, Lunch and Learn, with Dr. Barry. Well, lunch and Learn. Yeah. Oh, yes. How long? <laughs> I know. How long has that been? So the Lunch and Learn, you know, so I, I think we're going on almost four, five years now? I think so, you know, four or five years now. I think we're about to hit episode 200 yes. uh, by the end of the year. And what was interesting, again, just kind of starting out, you know, when I was doing my primary care, and I was I was on social media doing my videos, and someone said, "Hey, you know, it, it, do you have an audio version of it? I mean, I'd like to listen to it while I'm driving. I like to listen while I'm doing other things, but if, if it's just a video, I kind of have to sit there. And I think that's when you kind of mentioned how we just kind of grow with the times and mm-hmm. understanding that the the movement is happening. Where mm-hmm. I, me, I can tell you the last time I've listened to a radio station when I go in my car. Like, I'm, I'm playing my phone, I'm listening to all these other musical apps. Like, the last time I've actually listened to a radio station has been low for a, for a while. It's been uh, a so while. we're just kind of moving with, moving with the times. And even, even when, and you saw, when, when we go to a meeting like this, it's still not that many of us. No, it's there's not. There's still plenty of, of room for us to grow in, in this field, because especially when we think about podcasters, when we think about health-related podcasters, when we think about black health-related podcasters, mm-hmm. that number just keeps getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what that's what kind of drove me to say, like, all right, I'll, I'll just do it. You know, someone asked, I'll just do it. And kind of the rest has been history. We've been really been able to, you know, bring, you know, the, the information that's really been guarded uh, to yes. the community and to the people. Yes, yes. What do you say about that, D? Because you've been you've been here with me since um, we started. What we we launched it June. 2014, the Vicky Doe Fitness website, but we've been doing it, right, Dee? Well, we have, you know, I think we've been doing it for quite some time. We even started around the time of the Ebola mm-hmm. epidemic, mm-hmm. and we were coming out oh, wow. and, you know, telling people about what was going on when that whole situation happened. So, yeah, I mean, we've just kind of been out there again as people that look like us talking about mm-hmm. um, things that are important to us. Yes. With your podcast show, I know you've ch- what I like that you you get a chance because with ours too, it's just interesting how not only are we touching folks in our community, but it's worldwide. Isn't that something? It, it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm always sometimes I'm always shocked at like where like listeners are coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, that's it. It's very interesting. And so your goal for the show, what's the goal for your show? Honestly, to help make it easier that to digest this information. I know when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to you know trying to better yourself, especially in the health and mental health space, um, it can be very daunting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times just having that initial access is really all you need to get it going. Because my goal is I want to be able to, someone to be able to take the information that I got be able to digest it in their own way, and then still be able to, if they have questions, be able to formulate those questions and, and bring it onto themselves, right? I always say uh, my goal is to empower yourself for better health, right? Like, I want to empower you with the knowledge so that you can be the, the best health for yourself. 
we talk about because D and I, we were just um, doing a podcast show maybe two or three weeks ago, and we were talking about how that many people, most especially uh, African American men, they just you know they have. First of all, they don't go to the physician like they should. They're just unwilling to go to the doctor, and especially our black men. And then when they go, they don't ask the questions. There's challenges and all of that. And so what do you think about that? Yeah, and I just want to interject. I just want to interject, Dr. Pierre. I'm having a conversation just today, just before this podcast about some friends of ours were all of a certain age. I was a Doogie Howser, but that's okay. And the number of African-American men, one of our acquaintances here in town just passed of prostate cancer and this issue of African-American men and prostate <clears throat> cancer and the choices that they make in terms of treatment. So mm-hmm. I know, you, you know, we want to ask you about other things, but, but I want you to address that issue because it is of major concern mm-hmm. for those of us in the community about choices that they decide to make that end up with not good outcomes. So first, I think, especially when we think about African-American men or just like people in general, people in general would tend to follow the lead of people who look like them. Mm-hmm. But when we think about just kind of the African-American community, first of all, they, they don't see a lot of us, right, when we think about the doctor, right? They don't see a lot of us when we think about the healthcare field in general. So they already have a, a slight disconnect because they, they're not, they can't even attach themselves to us because, like, the person who they're looking at doesn't look like them. Mm. And then when we break it down and we say, like, all right, let's look at just the African-American man, African-American woman, like, you have a higher probability, especially if you're a woman, African-American woman, to see an African-American woman as a physician as well. So, so mm. now you at least, all right, I see, I see some connection there. Like, I, like, she's probably went through the same thing I went through. She's probably experienced the same thing I experienced. Mm. So when you have the African-American man who, like, our numbers, unfortunately, are are putrid as far as just total mm. African-American men in healthcare, especially as physicians. Um, our numbers are so putrid that, like, they have very rare a number of people that they can actually physically connect to and say, like, okay, I know who that person is. I know what they may have experienced, and, I, like, let me go in that direction there. Mm. So, that's, so that's what stops them from even getting like, through the door, because they're like, that person's not going to understand who I am. They're mm. not going to understand how I'm feeling. They're not going to understand, you know, what I'm going through. So I'm not even going to deal with that. And then, like, and unfortunately, we just I'll put the blame on men. Men are so hard-headed in and of themselves. They're already not going to the doctors. They're already, especially, I always say, the two things that will bring uh, a man, especially African-American man, but especially a man in general, to my office mm. is sexual dysfunction. Right, or they have a, a significant other who is dragging them to the office. Mm. <laughs> Very rarely do I get, uh, especially African American men, who just like willy nilly just shows up. <laughs> Very rarely, unless unless they happen to know, like, oh, hey, black doctor, black doctor, I feel you. I'm gonna come. But again, I'm I, there's not that many doctor berries around. Okay. So, so so that's where like that disconnect typically comes in. And then when we think about especially prostate cancer, when we think about just cancer, colon cancer in general, what hurts us. Uh, in our field is that not only are we diagnosed with prostate cancer much more frequent rate than the other races, by the time they do diagnose us, 
it's at a much later stage. Mm. So they can't even they can't even treat us the same way that they would typically treat someone else because the, by the time they're catching it in us, it doesn't because one because we you know we didn't go to the doctor for ten years, it, we haven't seen it for ten years. So now it, it's much more progression. So the options for treatment are lower, and because the options for treatment are lower, we tend to, we we not tend to we actually do die more. And and that and that's what's really hurting us really across the board. And, and and again, but it all starts because we won't even make that first foot in the door and say like, hey, like here I am. And because that things go on five years, ten years, we blow it off, we brush it off, we act like it's nothing until it becomes something. But by the time it becomes something, it's too late. Then with that said. What what can we do? You know, I'm health and wellness. I'm out there talking. I'm encouraging folks to go to the Dr. D, my my honey sweet. You are. What 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 do you think? What can we do? Yeah. What would be our call to action? Yes. I think first and foremost, we have to let them, especially the African American man, we have to let them know that it is okay to go to the doctor, even if he don't think nothing is wrong with you. We we tend not to think in the preventative care model, we tend to think something is wrong, let me go and get it fixed. So establishing that connection that, one, like, it's okay to get yourself checked up before you actually need a checkup. Two, like, I am here for you. I'm here, like, especially, and that's why when I talk about kind of the significant others, the family members who sometimes have to, you know, drag the, the boyfriends, the husbands, the brothers, like, to the, like, the fathers, like, to the office, because it happens all the time. Like, they'll, they'll be out in the waiting room, it's, all right, you go in. But if you don't tell them everything, I'm going to come right behind you and say everything you missed. Like, like they, they do it all the time. Um, but, under, but really what we're saying is, that, like, I'm here to support you. Like, mm-hmm. So with whatever news you may get, I'm going to support you. So mm-hmm. you don't have to worry or fear that you're going to be alone if you get some bad news. Mm-hmm. But, like, let's, let's start seeing each other before we get the bad news. Let's start seeing each other before you start having issues uh, in the bedroom. Like, let's start seeing each other before you have issues you know, using the bathroom. Like, let's let's let let's not get to that point. And and that's why I love you know what you guys are doing mm-hmm. because it it takes it takes a lot to stand out and say like, hey, like I'm gonna educate you. I'm gonna do what I need to do because I'm gonna get you better. Because you don't y'all don't have to do it. Yeah, right? the, the women are doing a great job. You're like y'all y'all don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. But y'all say like, no, I see what's happening on the other side over here. So I'm gonna put myself out there to try to educate to pull folks in. Right, because I, I, cause I don't want to see them when they're 40, 50, 60 years old with problems that they could have avoided. Wow. So what do you have to say to that, Dee? Yeah, no, I don't have anything to add. I just think that, you know, those are good suggestions for us to, to do because it's a big problem. And it doesn't seem to be getting it, any better. It, it, it doesn't. And, and especially when, when, you, when, you, when you, you act upon the fact that there's less of me's walking around, right? So there's, there's less people who they're going to be familiar with. Right, less people who are them because we we all know it to 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 really get in tune with your health care, you got to be vulnerable. Right, yeah. right. Well, do we know let who me want to be vulnerable. Yeah, let me add this one more thing, Doctor Pierre. Let's not. I think you you touched on that earlier. The paucity of African American young men that are going into medicine. I mean, I I belong to the National Medical Association, and although we haven't been in person for a couple of years, you know, one of the big talks from Howard Meharry excuse me, Drew, is the small numbers of African-American men, particularly, that are matriculating in the medical school. And so when you talk about the pool of people that people have to pick from, it's small. 
Yeah. And, and, and you, you, when you think about it, because obviously healthcare is just one facet, right? There's government, there's technology, there's law, there's all these different fields that, you know, our best and brightest have the opportunity to go to. And unfortunately, we keep losing out, one, because the pool is already small to begin with. But then when we get that small pool that gets to make a choice, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, do I really want to go into medicine? No, nah, okay, I'm going to go well, over here. So, yeah, well, the problem is you come out in such debt and okay. the way that medical, and I remember I heard you on podcast commenting on that about how, you know, you're, we're, you, me, we're fee for service, many of us. We're not salaried, and, you know, there's that RVU thing. You've got to see so many patients and so forth and so on. So a lot of these um, students get out, and they're like, well, I don't want to work that hard. You know, I, I don't want to work that hard. So that's what we're up against as well. And insurance companies are making it worse. Oh yeah, I mean, and we don't we don't have we don't have the ability to say like, oh, that's okay. I'll I'll just choose whatever field. Like I'm I'm like so like if we do get when we do get our small pool who goes into medicine, a lot of them are not choosing the primary care specialties because of the amount of debt that they're saddled with. And exactly. we typically have exactly. a burden. We we typically, unfortunately, we have the familiar burden. Most of us, where yep. when we get to that status, we got people to take care of. A lot exactly. of our parts don't have other people to take care of. So when 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 they start getting their money, like their money is their money. When we start exactly. getting our money, uh, our money is kind of the family's money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and you just get a whole bunch of you get a whole bunch of family and friends. You got to hook up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so we have so we have so many obstacles. So, so that's why again, you like yeah, you may see some black male physicians, but there may be cardiologists, they may be general surgeons, they may be like they're not even in the front lines of healthcare because they they're thinking like, hey, I got a lot of loans I got to deal with, I got family that I got to take care of and be able to take care of, so I can't afford to go into one of the lower paying fields um, that I know is going to pay me the lowest uh, just because. Okay, so we are talking about black men's health. What are some, if we just really put it out there, we know prostate cancer affects our black men, um, heart disease. We're always talking about, you know, hypertension, heart disease, type 2 diabetes and all of that. And so since we know that, what do you say for black men First, we got to get them in there. But when should when should they do all this screenings and stuff? They, they should do it now. When they should do all this? Sure, most most definitely the screening, especially when we when we if we try to work backwards from our cancer type related screenings. Obviously, some of the biggest ones: colon cancer, prostate cancer. And what people don't most people don't realize is that like the the general public has a certain age. So for, let's say, for cancer, we start thinking about it at the age of 40, actually 45, I mean 50, but now 45. But for African-Americans, because we keep getting hit so much harder, like it's actually even earlier for us. Mm. So like if you're a healthy body with no family history, and that's a whole nother discussion because we don't even be knowing our family history. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a healthy body, like we say like, no, you need to come in five years earlier than the general population because that is how much it's affecting you. And that's just for colon cancer. By prostate cancer, by the time you're at 40, 
Like sometimes even 35, we're checking. We're checking to just make sure we're asking the questions, having any urinary issues. We're checking lab values. Like so a lot of our testing we have to do earlier in the African-American community because we're being devastated so much by um, uh, the disease process. And then obviously diabetes, cholesterol. Like there's like the amount of people who will see me for the first time and, and after five, ten years, like I'm the one who has to tell them, hey, you have, you know, diabetes, you have high blood pressure, you have kidney disease, and if you would have just took one medication maybe 10 years ago, you wouldn't be having none of this. Mm-hmm. And that, that's probably the saddest thing uh, about it all is because we know that if we can catch everything in medicine, if we can catch early, we can usually prevent or stop, but we can't catch it early enough. I would say then that for our black men, we do have, I don't know, so so where are you calling us from? Where Where are you at? You're in Philly or... Where? Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in South Florida. Oh, you're in South Florida. Okay. For some reason, I thought you were... Okay, so I don't know if they have the African-American male wellness walk, but have you heard about that? I, I have not. Okay. Uh, that, that, that definitely sounds like a, 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 a that we probably do need down here. Big time. <laughs> But it started here in Columbus, Ohio, the African-American Male Wellness Walk, and it's an initiative, and they have grown to different states. And so I definitely will try to put a good word for you. But every year they have a big walk. It's usually a walk run. It's um, specifically focus on African-American male, the, the health and wellness. So all of the vendors come out, but they have the the free health screenings. And Dr. D and I, we have always supported that in our area, but, you know, right when it started in our area, you know, it's been, it's been a minute. And so it's, it's, it's great how they've grown. And now they're doing things during the year at the schools and all of that. What do you say, D, about that? Well, they've been di- well, actually, at some of those, they've diagnosed men who've had hypertension that have almost, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. 200 over 120 or, you know, ferreted out some information that the men never would have known had they had not had those screenings there at the um, wellness walk. So it's been really, really influential in our city mm-hmm. and, and all around, like, like, Dr. Vicky said that it's all over. And Dr. D, you said something that is, is so poignant, which is another reason why men um, don't, and that's why we talk about prevention, is because a lot of these processes that we're talking about, prostate cancer, um, diabetes, hypertension, a lot of these times we don't have no symptoms. Mm-hmm. And because we're not, and because we don't feel different, like you know when you have sexual dysfunction, but because you don't feel different, you don't know that you should be going to get yourself checked. You don't know that you're walking around with a blood pressure 180 to 200. So, yeah, you said something real big because that, that's a big thing, too. Like, oh, I don't feel nothing. I, don't, I feel good. Like, what do you mean I need to go to the doctor? Right. I know. And we- they're running around with blood pressures almost stroke level. I know. Mm-hmm. Until they have a stroke, right? Unfortunately. All this to say, with talking to you, and that's been what we've been saying is that, you know, we just got to double up on living healthy as well, because what I do say and talk about all the time, and and Dr. D knows, yeah, okay, so you find out your numbers and all of that. What's your action plan on how you're going to eat, how you're going to exercise and sleep better, all of the healthy living habits that you need 
to continue to have that quality of life. And so that is as um, that's very important as well. Not just the screenings and all of that, because you do need that. But to start now that that you can do right now, start living that healthy life and having those healthy habits. So what do you say about that? Oh, 100%. It's, it's one of those things where we, we have to, it's, it's always best, I, I try to do my podcast, so it's always best to try to give that, those first two or three action steps to make that, to make, to move in that direction. Because a lot of times when we hear, I got high blood pressure, we figure, oh, there's no way I can get to good blood pressure. But we don't think about all of the little changes that you can make along the way that will get you to that point. So always think about it in those small steps will always get you to the end goal. Yes, yes. I just want to say to you how happy that we are to have you on here today because I, I think, like I said, my big thing is that we have so few African-American um, physicians that are out there championing, championing the cause of, um, you know, health care in our African-American community. And, you know, COVID, as um, Dr. Fauci said, it took the scab off of it, unroofed a lot of those health care social determinant issues that were mm-hmm. already there, but, but COVID just brought them out into the public. We, we talked about some of the health issues. Let's really talk about our mental health just for a little bit because you oh, know yeah. that oh, affects yeah. our community big time. And it affects our men, but because, you know, our men... They don't like to talk about that, right? We, we, we don't really know. So, so what do you think when it comes to black men and uh, mental health? What do you think? What do you think we should do? And what do you think about it? What's your view? Like I always tell people, like I'm biased, like my wife is a mental health therapist. So one thing she always, you know, expounds upon me is the fact that like the mental health is just as big as the physical. It's just as big as the spiritual. It's like if your mental health is not there, like you, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to have the most optimum level of health. And when we think about African American and African American men, for sure, the the level of trauma and violence that uh, we typically have to deal with growing up as a little kid, and then having to go through a lot of that trauma, a lot of that violence, a lot of the racism, and everything else on top of the sudden. Um, it puts such a burden on us that we become reserved. And then when you have, even within our social construct of our family, where men typically aren't, you know, uh, allowed to be emotional, they typically aren't allowed to be vocal about what they're feeling, so so they just build up, it's almost like flexing a muscle. They build up this muscle that they should be keeping everything, like, mm. to themselves, which is which is really what causes such problems. Right. We, you know, we have just as much issues as far as depression, as anxiety, mm. and as far as our other white counterparts. But you wouldn't know it because we, we've, been, we've been flexing this muscle as far as keeping everything to ourselves that we, like, we don't even know that we should be letting it out. And, and when, when it does come out, it comes out in uh, our attitudes. It comes out in actions. It comes out through our actions uh, with our spouses. It comes through our actions at work. Like, so it's like we're not even realizing how we're processing it. Uh, because we, we don't even realize that we're processing something. Oh, I know. I know. That has been a challenge, you know, to talk about mental health and things that you can do for mental wellness, most especially in our community. Do you think it's getting a little better or what do you think? 
No, what, what I love is we, we definitely have now more opportunities. I think as, as the conversation is changed around mental health and as more and more people are getting out there and, and saying, like, yes, I have this issue, and, and especially because, men, we're seeing, like, people who are football players, basketball players, we're seeing the, the peaks uh, of, of the life and celebrity existence, and they're still saying that despite the fame, despite the money, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm hurt, I'm sad. Mm. And, and we, we, like we talked, like, once you see someone that looks like you who also has your same sentiments, now you realize, like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Right. But once you realize I'm not the only one, it makes it so much easier to want to talk. And now, of course, we're, I think from a healthcare-related standpoint, we're still behind on being able to supply those level of services out mm-hmm. to the communities. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we still, you know, we're, we're still having, the, that's still a work in progress. We're getting there, but it's still a work in progress to get there. But it's definitely much better than it's always been. Right. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. I would say that I definitely enjoyed talking with you about um, health issues and men's health today. And so in summary, closing out today, what would you what would be some of we could say start out maybe one, two or three um, tips and encouragement that you would give our most wonderful black men out there, men too, but we're focusing on black men today. What would you tell our men today? I would say first, understand that it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. Like it, it's not, it's not a knock. It's not a negative. Understanding that you are not alone. And once you realize that one, it's okay to feel how you're feeling. Two, you are not alone. Three, There are people here who want to help. Mm -hmm. There are people here who want to make sure that you live your best life. Mm -hmm. And all we're doing is asking you to come on. Like, we're we're here. Like I said, I'll I'll scream from the rooftops of my social media platforms uh, to educate, educate, because, like, that's, like, we want you to live your best life. Again, I always think, like, when I I go back to my thing about my father, I say, if, if maybe if I was on social media screaming about high blood pressure, <laughs> right, he would have realized, like, oh, hey, you know what? I, didn't, I, I, should, tell, I should tell my son I got high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe he's still here today. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? But, like, maybe he's still here today. So, like, understand that the, I think the, the, the tide has shifted. People want to help. People are acknowledging that they um, can't do this alone. And more importantly, they're acknowledging that they have some issues that they need to work on. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And yeah, you know, my grandmother passed away. She had, you know, high blood pressure and this and that. But what kind of saved her was that um, that she still was able to live a pretty good life was how she ate and all of that. But just think, just think if she had just reached out, took her medicine and all of that on top of that how her quality of life would have just been so much better. And so I would say that you are doing, I know your your dad will be so proud of all the things that you're doing now. And my grandmother would be also. And so, yeah, we just going to keep spreading the word, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, and, and that's, well, that's why I love about, you know, what we're doing is because we understand that, you know, we're, we're accomplished, right? We're accomplished just doing our regular nine to fives, but we still say, you know what? 
if, if we want to help our community, like we got to get out here. And that, that's why I, I love, mm-hmm. I love working with uh, my content creators, my podcast and my blog is all those people who like are going the extra mile because they know that they have a community to serve. That's exactly it. In closing, how can folks get in touch with you and to tune into your podcast show, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry? Lunch and Learn. Yes. Yeah, so if they want to go right to the podcast, they can go to listen to drberry.com and it'll take them right to my landing page and I'll get them all of the links, whether I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I'm on all platforms at Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Um, again, we're, we're about to hit episode 200 in the, probably like next month, so we're definitely excited. Uh, about that, especially when you first start, you don't realize you can get there. Yes. I'm on all social media platforms at Dr. Barry Pierre, Instagram, TikTok, where I have a Facebook, wow. Twitter. And, 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 and the reason why I do that is because I know that my community is on those platforms. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and yes. If, and if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not on there, then I'm, then this information is going to get out there. So I, I said, I said, hey, you know what? I, I don't really do TikTok, but like, if Folks are saying crazy stuff here on TikTok. Let me jump on this, like, say, like, no, that that ain't right. That's it. Now, I, I haven't gotten on TikTok yet. I don't know if I'm I'm going to, but I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's definitely a labor of love, but like, it's, it's one of the things where, like, I, if I, I got to do it, like, that's, that's where they at. All right, I guess. That's where you go. Right. All right. Well, thank you once again, Dr. Barry. We appreciate this talk and you have an awesome day. Thank you. Now, this is our show, D. So do we have some tips? Do you have some tips for us? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the take-home message, first of all, the take-home message for him is that he's using social media and using, you know, to reach, to reach certainly African-American men, using different modalities to reach them in order to put out the word about health care. He's very enthusiastic and very, you know, dedicated to his craft. You know, he talked a lot about um, prostate cancer and heart disease and mental health issues and so forth, which are all topics that are important today. So he was great. Yes, he was very good. Yeah, that's the that's the way. Kudos to him and his his podcast, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. And yes, it's important, like you kept saying, it's important that we reach our folk in our community because we're the messengers. You know, people like to see us because you know we look like them, and when they want to, they want to go to their physicians like you because. You know, you can relate, and and Dr. Barry, you know, you guys, exactly. uh, my husband, my honey sweet, as a kidney specialist, people love, especially if they're African American, they wanna, or a man or woman, they wanna have a physician that that they feel, you know, that can relate to them, and so yeah, that's important. I love that he also said for some of the tips that he left with us for our men is listen we care for you we want you to be able to live healthy and have quality of life so don't hold back come come and for him go to him and and see him as your primary care physician for those that are out there our audience go to your physician you know They are there to help you. 
And so, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's what we ended up there. And we're so glad that Dr. Barry came to talk with us. And to find out more about Dr. Barry Pierre and to listen to his podcast, Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, go to www.listentodrberry.com. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.